This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. I want to start off by uh, talking with you about the recent uh, primary for governor and, and the vote total. Uh, governor Andrew Cuomo easily defeated progressive uh, challenger Cynthia Nixon statewide in the primary, but almost all of the counties in the Capitol District went for Nixon as opposed to Cuomo. Why is that? Uh, you know, I don't have a good handle on exactly why that happened. I guess one theory that I've heard and I'm beginning to believe a bit more is people in the capital region, there's a lot of state workers here, a lot of people know state workers, and for whatever reason, people don't like how Cuomo has maybe managed state government, his um, his leadership style. There's sort of just part of that theory is we, we're more familiar with how he operates because we're right here in or near the Capitol, and, um, and that's kind of turned us off to to him more so than people who don't live as as close. I mean, I guess that's the best yeah. best theory I've heard to, to this point. No, that that sounds uh, right. I mean, I, one time I worked for the state, and you're uh, very you know people who do work for the state are very attuned to the administration. I mean, maybe you yeah. can't say much about it at work, but uh, you know you can take out uh, revenge of the ballot box. Right, or right, right. Yes, that's. I think that's true. But do you think <laughs> it'll impact on his? I mean, this. Uh, you know, Nixon was very strong here. I mean, do you think this will impact on his reelection bid? Um, you mean going forward? Yeah, how it will yeah. impact him. That's. I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I guess you know everybody's waiting to see if uh, you know his Republican challenger Mark Molinaro will will gain any traction in some of these counties. You know, Molinaro he'll win them. I mean, in the solidly Republican areas like Fulton and Montgomery counties, where you know Democrats voted for Nixon, mm-hmm. but you know those are not going to be blue for Cuomo overall. Uh, you know, in Albany County, it's hard for me to see a Republican winning that county mm. just because of the the number advantage that Democrats uh, have. So, you know, how I think Molinero will probably do decently in a, in the pockets mm-hmm. that are Republican upstate. And, you know, Cuomo will probably take, you know, the by and large metropolitan areas which which support Democratic candidates. Governor Cuomo has stepped into a, a big local controversy about another uh, political leader, and that leader is uh, Sean Morris, the mayor of the city of Cohoes, uh, who has had domestic violence accounts alleged uh, against him. But he's uh, r- remains defiant. He, he won't resign. Uh, what, what happened was the governor uh, suggested that uh, Morris resign. Uh, there's something new in this story every day. Uh, and we're recording this on uh, Wednesday. The last report I heard was that uh, Sean Morris's wife had been hospitalized. Um, what do you What do you make of this story? I mean, I'm interested to see, I guess, how long this draws out. And I mean, I guess what I've concluded is Sean obviously he has some sort of base of support in Cohoes. Where I mean, it's hard for me to see him not eventually leaving office because of this. Uh, but he hasn't yet, and um, I think these are not just like wild al- allegations from 20 years ago. It's sort of like a developing thing with some pretty solid, you know, mm. people of you know people I view as pretty straight shooters, like uh, John McDonald, who used to be mayor of Cohoes and now is in the assembly, sort of 
saying he saw, I mean, I believe it was him who said he saw Sean maybe pulling his wife from by the hair years ago. No, I mean, no, that was another person. Was it, it, yeah, it, or someone, okay. right, another girlfriend, <laughs> right. excuse me. So, I mean, this is not just like one person said it and we don't know who they are. There's, you know, been investigations by agents. You know, it's just I feel like there's a pretty good body of evidence that if you think this is something someone should resign over, you know, mm. this, you know, it, he should resign. <laughs> yeah, but, but as you say, I, I think they they had a common council meeting mm-hmm. or city council meeting in Cohoes, and there were a number of supporters of yeah. Morris, and there were some opponents or people who were uh, cr- right. calling from. Right, him, it's believe. obviously uh, divisive, but I think you know Sean feels he's obviously being defiant, and um, as long as that base of support doesn't turn on him, he may stick around a bit longer than, you know, one might hope. We're talking with Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. Police review. A man named Daryl Mount died after a fall during a police pursuit in Saratoga Springs. The police chief, uh, Greg Veach, said there was an internal investigation that found no wrongdoing, but apparently there was no internal investigation. And now a citizen's advisory board has been formed to look into the case. You did a column uh, on the idea of the board, uh, well, that that will be effective. And I gather you think it, not necessarily. Yeah, well, certainly I don't don't think it's going to be effective at, yeah, they can't investigate things on their own. I think, you know, it's a board that will probably be used primarily to kind of I don't want to say rubber stamp, but, you know, it'll be tough for them to come out with any kind of finding that contradicts or goes against what, you know, the police department might might want. Now, I mean, in fairness to the police department, I mean, there might be cases where a finding saying there's been no wrongdoing is perfectly appropriate. I just think when they don't have those investigatory uh, powers, um, you know, it's hard to have confidence that, you know, they've been able to really do a thorough, you know, review of um, of any of a particular case. So you, you see their lack of the ability and, and to, I don't know, yeah, subpoena people or something like that? I just like say, that. yeah, I think, you know, there's a, a little bit of research kind of suggesting that if these boards are going to be kind of like an effective check or an effective way of reviewing police conduct, they really need to have a little bit more independence than this particular board uh, will. Now, I mean, they're not up and running yet. So, I mean, maybe things will turn out a bit differently in practice. But um, based on what they've said, you know, so far about the board won't have the power to conduct their own investigations, that's how it kind of sounded to me. And I mean, initially, the public safety commissioner in Saratoga Springs really resisted this idea that they should have a review board so, I mean, I think he's sort of, you know, capitulating to this kind of public sentiment that probably you, you could use one if your police chief is, is lying about, you know, a high-profile case and nobody points it out until it's in court papers well, a year or two later or whatever. I believe you've written several columns, not just about this instance in Saratoga Springs, but others. It does seem difficult to effectively... I don't know what, monitor the police or when they're involved in, you know, charges against them. Yeah, it is difficult. And I mean, obviously, there are any number of reasons for that. I mean, even when these cases, not just locally, but as we've observed throughout the nation, go before a jury, should they actually 
bring charges against a police officer, I mean, juries are pretty likely to, you know, find, you know, acquit police officers, you know, for any number of reasons. But I think one is that it's compelling when a police officer stands up and says, you know, I feared for my life. I had to shoot or react to this individual in a way that harmed or even killed him. I mean, I think juries find that, you know, compelling testimony. So there are hard cases to to bring and convict officers. And it's not just like the internal system at police departments, it's, you know, society by and large supports police officers and finds them, you know, fairly credible. So I don't think we've hit upon a good system for kind of reviewing police conduct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about that is like, there are cases that you look at, and Daryl Mount was one of them. I always found the police version that he climbed up some scaffolding and fell I never really saw anything to or heard anything to contradict that but if the police chief is going to lie and say there was an internal affairs investigation that never occurred you know it kind of begins to call into question some of those Mm -hmm. some of those details which I had never thought to question too much myself we've been uh, talking about uh, police matters let me bring up the idea of a neighborhood watch are neighborhood watch groups good for locals, cities, and towns. I believe you spoke with a man named Frederick Lee, who was a key organizer in Schenectady's Neighborhood Watch. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can say I think a a well-run, and I mean, we can talk about what that might mean, Neighborhood Watch program can be a good thing for a city or town. I mean, I think the danger is you end up with sort of like untrained vigilantes taking matters into their own hands when really they should be calling the police about you know, if they see suspicious things. But Fred Lee's group, I thought he was um, a sharp guy and his training, I thought I made it clear, was that was not what they were about. It was really this idea of having a set of eyes on your neighborhood to look for activity that might seem out of place or suspicious. And then, you know, how to relay that to the police. Is it an emergency? Call 911. Is it a non-emergency you know, call their non-emergency number and just sort of complementing the work the police do. And I think part of the reason it makes sense is, you know, the police have a lot to do. And some of these, I won't say that they're minor. There are certain things where I think, you know, private citizens as volunteers can play a role in keeping an eye on them when, you know, the police may have more let's say, more pressing matters to mm-hmm. attend to. You know, in a city like Schenectady where you're dealing with a certain amount of, you know, perhaps violent crime, you know, some of these things you may say a neighborhood watch can be helpful at just sort of gathering information to bring to the police and making neighbors aware of if someone's, you know, breaking into cars, something like that mm-hmm. on their streets. So I saw, I definitely saw a value in what they were doing, sure. Now, uh, in Frederick Lee, he, I guess he doesn't anymore, but he did live on Hamilton Hill. He did. He lived on Hamilton Hill for 17 years in, in the 90s when I'm, you know, Hamilton Hill doesn't have a great reputation, but that was the period when I think there was a lot more uh, just gun violence and drug activity there than there than there is now. And so he had a lot of good anecdotes about just living in a community that's high crime and just how you kind of keep an eye, look out for your neighbors, if you notice strange activity at a house next door, like what are the signs that it might be a house that's a drug house where people are selling and buying drugs? Maybe you don't know this, but how how does the neighborhood watch get its information to the police? I mean, 
it would seem to me if you had a neighborhood watch of what ten people, were all ten of them <laughs> calling the cops? We yeah. Would... It, well, I think they're spread out throughout the city, so I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it would be a situation where. I mean, I guess you could have a situation like that where if someone's, let's say, riding ATVs illegally down your street, suddenly people are phoning it in. But I mean, I think Fred was trying to teach them to use some discretion so yeah mm-hmm. an emergency if you look out your window and see someone stabbing someone obviously you're not gonna mm. worry too much about if you're duplicating someone else's call you're just gonna call it in uh yeah. but i mean with non-emergency things i mean he was very clear that you know try to take down as much information as possible and then call the non-emergency dispatch to relay it so you're not taking up the uh, emergency line mm-hmm. and you know how to distinguish between emergency and non-emergency in the in your column on the neighborhood watch you also reference the guardian angels are kind of mm-hmm. like a nationally known neighborhood watch group i suppose um headed by uh, curtis sliwa and they after all the killings in Albany, they said they'd come up here uh, first to Albany and then they said they could come to schenectady but i i like officialdom, and I think to some extent people in the community maybe roll their eyes when they hear about the guardian angels because this happened once before, I mean, yeah. years ago, and they were going to come and this and that, but it never seemed to come to be. Yeah, and um, yeah, they said that like maybe by August we'll head over to Schenectady. Obviously, they didn't get a warm reception in Albany. Perhaps that influenced them. I know we did an article where, you know, people were pretty cool to the idea, community leaders and so on and and so forth. And it was really that, you know, article that made me interested in talking to, you know, someone like Fred Lee just about, you know, the guardian angels get a lot of attention, but I felt like there are people in the communities who have been working hard on this issue. And I would like to hear more about what they're doing to help with crime than sort of a, a national group that kind of, you know, parachutes in with mm-hmm. this idea they're going to save you from whatever's going on in your community. To me, I'm not sure that model makes as much sense. It's just people live in the community who are invested in the community, you know, coming up with their own model for dealing with their own problems. Is there still a neighborhood watch on Hamilton Hill in Schenectady? Yeah, there's still yeah. members throughout the city and in that neighborhood who who keep an eye on things. Well, let's talk about government gambling The state of New York may legalize sports betting. Already we have more casinos, including one in Schenectady. Uh, You uh, think about this a lot, I believe. What do you see as the pros and cons of this increase in state-authorized gambling? I mean, the pro is obviously there's more revenue for the state, and that goes in probably cities. You know, there's just more revenue, so that's, you know, a good thing. I mean, the con is... You know, are they, is the sports gambling creating another gambling mechanism that competes with the casinos that we open, which, as we know, have not performed up to expectations? So does that hurt them further? Does it take business away from existing businesses? I think one of the things we're learning about gambling is that this is not an infinite market, you know, not... There's going to be a certain amount of people who just, they're not going to gamble no matter how many casinos you open. I mean, sure, more people will gamble if they have the opportunity, but a lot of people won't. And I think, you know, that's what we're seeing is you can open casinos all around the state, but, you know, they are in competition with each other. They're in competition with casinos in other states. And I think, you know, 
we don't want to get into a situation we did with the upstate casinos where we overstate what sports gambling can mm-hmm. do, and then it's we have these unrealistic expectations. You know, I mean, it's something where I think eventually, of course, you know, we'll have legal sports gambling. That definitely seems to be the direction things are headed, but it might make sense just to, you know, to take it slow and to bring in mm-hmm. some people who are more critical of um, the claims that some of these pro-gambling groups make to kind of help lend some balance to uh, to whatever we do going forward. Mm. And maybe we don't want infinite growth. I mean, g- gambling right. why would that be a Yeah, why would that be a good thing? I mean, that's <clears> the... <throat> right. <laughs> or, I mean, for people who have a, a gambling problem. Right, who addiction. have a gambling problem, definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, legalizing something that wasn't legal, the state of New York is considering legalization of recreational marijuana. Governor Cuomo going around the state on a listening tour and you uh, wrote a column where you said you think that's really a good idea to have a listening tour. Sure, why not? I mean, in some ways I was trying to be a little tongue-in-cheek because mm-hmm. I feel like it's funny. This is I've never heard of a listening tour for any controversial issue on Before, this one. Right? Yeah, let's yeah. have one. And I mean, one thing I picked up, I wasn't able to attend myself, but just from reading about his um, the listening tour session in Albany... It seemed well attended, like people had a lot to say on this issue. And that made me think maybe it was maybe it is a good thing to have a listening tour. If people have the opportunity to speak out on an issue that matters to them, it seems like they they will go and and do so. So I think it is a good idea. But I think the fact that we're doing it for the marijuana legalization issue, you know, just sort of raises the question of, you know, why this issue and why not? Some others, you know, why, why this? <laughs> mm. And also, you did a column on a drug treatment program, uh, the Center of Treatment Innovation, called mm-hmm. CODI. Is it? Yeah, or that's uh, the acronym. Sure. What, what, uh, what do you think was uh, good about that? Well, I mean, it's the idea is to provide treatment without walls. So you're trying to. It's through a recovery center in Schenectady. But they've expanded to create satellite offices in areas that are where there aren't a lot of treatment programs for people recovering from addiction. So I went to their office in Mechanicville, but they have others, maybe one in Saratoga Springs. I feel like Glens Falls or Queensbury. I can't remember the locations, but mm-hmm. bringing a, a peer recovery person to a community which where people may not have much in the way of options if they're recovering from drugs, and then providing, I guess this is one of the real innovations, uh, telemedicine. So you don't have to go to Schenectady to check in with your physician who might oversee your medication-assisted treatment. You can do it on a computer and talk to that person. So if you live in Round Lake, I guess I met a woman from that Mm -hmm. particular area. If you live in southern Saratoga County, and you need to talk to your physician on a regular basis, it's it's helpful to be able to go to this office in, say, Mechanicville and do that mm-hmm. over the computer versus having to go to Schenectady for all those appointments. So it's just to break down those barriers that make it difficult for people to obtain uh, services. And, I mean, for all the chatter about the opioid epidemic, I mean, it's amazing to me how many of those barriers still exist. It's like, we know this Mm. is an epidemic and it still seems like for a lot of people, it's still pretty hard for them to get the treatment services that they, that might help them recover from a drug addiction. 
You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. This program will be available at uh, albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. Our guest next week on Talk of the Town will be Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple. For Magic 590 plus 100.5, I'm Bob Cudmore.